Well, well, welcome all of you there online. Happy Father's Day and here in Melbourne. Those, those of you watching out in the commons as well as in the cafeteria. And you're going to need your Bibles because we are going to be uh, studying Ephesians 4. Pastor Brian got us up until uh, verse 16 last week, and we're going to take it on from verse 17. Last week he talked a lot about the, the church and the unity, the oneness, and and the role of the, the shepherds in the church and the, the work of ministry that's really done through all of you. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 17 in a moment. But I titled this message, Off with the Old and On with the New. You've heard that saying before, Off with the Old, On with the New. And when I was thinking about this, when I was preparing the message, I was thinking about last summer, my wife Barb and I, we went up to Iowa to my parents' home along with uh, my uh, youngest sister who lives here in Florida with her family. She was up there as well. And we decided it was time to help my folks clean out the attic. They're in their 80s. They don't get up there anymore. And it was full of stuff. And so we spent a whole day bringing boxes down, sorting through things and cleaning stuff. And then we ended up in the basement doing as well. But one of the things that we ran across was... uh, my younger sister, she's eight years younger than me, but she had this doll that probably a lot of you had 50 years ago. And now they make movies out of these dolls, and they look pretty scary. You know what dolls I'm talking about? You know, the big eyelashes on the eyes and so forth. And, and uh, you know, we had some laughs about it. And then we were tired from working, so I, uh, my, my sister, she laid down on the sofa just to take a nap. And one of the things about me, and we're going to be talking about the old life, and I still got some old life stuff in me. And one of the things I used to do is always tease my sister. I don't know why she was, because I was the older one. I didn't tease my other sister as much, but my younger sister always teased her. So I got that doll out while she's sleeping there. And she was, her head was on the sofa. It was right in front of the coffee table. So I got that doll sitting straight up right in front of her head. And you know when you wake up from a nap, you're a little bit half groggy, you're opening your eyes, and right there, that doll is sitting, you ought to have heard the blood-curdling scream that came out of her. And I didn't realize when I told this story last night in the first service, but she happens to be in the service here today. So uh, I'm sorry, Carla, but uh, it's probably not the last time I will tease you. But uh, anyway, so it was out with the old, in with the new. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that related to our spiritual life today. So let's start in verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. You you see some that insisting on it in the Lord. Paul here is extremely serious, not just with his words. He's very bold in the Lord. Remember, he's talking to Christians who are in the church in Ephesus. These are people who gave their life to Christ but they were still struggling with getting rid of the old life. Probably not unlike maybe some of you. You still got your old life. You're still dealing with a lot of this stuff. So he says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. There's a message here. And it wasn't just about the Gentiles. It was really about people in the world. The the Gentiles here were representing people without a relationship with God. That we must no longer live. Some of your verses might say no longer walk. Remember, we're in this series about sit, walk, stand. And so here here we go. We have the the, uh, Paul saying, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
Futility means pointless, without purpose. They had in their thinking, it didn't have any point to it. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So they were separated from God. That's where all of us, before we came to Christ, we were separated from God. Okay, We had this, you know... Uh, Separation because of our sin separates us from a holy God. That's why we needed Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. And so the, the people of the world were separated because of the ignorance and the hard heart. That's not talking about the part that pumps blood. It's talking about that control center of our life. That is hardened. And look what it says. It's going to go on, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity. It's talking about a spiritual sensitivity. It says that they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So Paul's got some pretty strong words about the world, the world culture. But remember, he's talking to Christians here. And he's saying, you know what? This is how you're, you should get rid of this. Be careful. I insist on it in the Lord that you can't live like you used to live. If I have a message for the church today, you got to be careful. How are you living your life today as Christ followers? Are you truly following Christ, or is it in name only? Is it just in words? Because that's what Paul's going to get into. He talks about this hardness of heart. Hebrews 3.13, another message to Christians. He says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. So he's talking about encouraging the people in the family of God so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, sin is deceitful. And when you're deceived, you don't know it. And that can cause our hearts to be hardened. So we have to be very careful. Hard hearts can result from unbelief, pride, unforgiveness. We'll talk more about that at the end of the message. Unrepented sin. You know, when God's trying to deal with you and say, you need to change, you need to change, and you keep saying, no, no, every time you tell God no, you know what's happening? Your heart becomes harder. Now, in, when before you became a Christian, that was already an issue. But you don't want it to be an issue once you give your life to Christ, because obviously you had to open your heart up to receive the gospel. Now, let's talk for a moment about the, the culture that we live in today. Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking about the Gentiles, how they, you know, they gave themselves over to sensuality and, and all this, you know, get, indulge in whatever impurity they wanted to. Doesn't that sound a lot like our culture today? So if you look at the screen, you'll see what is the futile thinking of our today's culture? And that is, people say this, my priority in life is my happiness. It's all about me, my happiness. I live by my feelings. Feels good, do it. It's all about how I feel. I need your approval. If you don't give me your approval, then you're a hater. And they say this, there's no absolute truth. Now, when somebody tells you there's no absolute truth, all you have to do is turn that around and say, is that true? (laughs) How do they answer that? (laughs) Because they're... There are absolute truths. But see, people don't want there to be because then it's like, I'm in control. It's whatever I feel like I can do. And then people aren't accountable to God. 
the truth of Jesus Christ, the word of God, then there's no accountability. Do you realize that most people of the world, it's not an intellectual argument that's going to win them over. It's because they have to repent of their sin. And so often the, the grip of sin has them that they realize, and I know from my own life, this is what gripped me, and I, I didn't want to give up the sin. And that's where people are at so often, because they know if they admit the truth of what we believe here in the Word of God, then they're also accountable to God. And if that goes against their lifestyle, that's a big problem for them. Now, how do they live with themselves? Because they'll have a guilty conscience. And so... Well, let's just keep moving on here. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. By the way, I hope you haven't learned that either. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That's why here at Calvary Chapel, we make a high priority to be about teaching the word of God. Whether it's here from this pulpit, whether it's in our small groups, Whatever we do, we want our discipleship to revolve around teaching the Word of God, the truth that's in Jesus Christ. That's how you were taught, and that's how we will continue to teach. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires. We've talked about that a moment ago. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. So that's where we're, it all starts in our mind. We'll talk about that. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in, the, in true righteousness and holiness. When you look at verse 22 through 24, you'll understand now why I'm talking about off of the old and on with the new. We see in verse 22, we were taught to take off the old life. Take it off. Put it off. But then we don't just take it off. We put on the new life that's made to be more like Christ in his righteousness. In verse 24, we see put on the new self. Now, it says in the attitude of your mind. The mind has a huge part in our change. Look at this next slide. This is a pathway of how change happens. It all starts with our thoughts, our mind. And our thoughts... They affect our emotions. You think about something, it stirs up your emotions. Our emotions affect our will, and that affects our actions. It all starts in the mind. Look at Romans 12, too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if we're going to change, if we're going to put off the old and put on the new, we have to start with the mind, our mindset. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it all starts with our thinking. You know, you've heard Jesus' first messages when he went around, same thing with John the baptizer, was this, repent. We all hear that word. Sometimes we're turned off by that word because we've seen people on street corners with signs, angry and mean, repent or you're going to burn in hell, that type of thing. You know, repent, all it means is change your mind. It comes from the Greek word metanoia. Meta means change. Noia means our mind, our intellect, our thoughts. Change your thoughts. Change your thoughts and it'll eventually change your actions. If you're ever going to change, make a major change in your life, it starts with your mind, your thoughts. 
Now, many times, sometimes it doesn't affect our emotions until we run into a tough time in life, a trial, some big challenge in life, and then all of a sudden it affects us in a way. And hopefully, as we're full of the Word of God, we draw upon that, and it begins to, to change the way we actually operate. Now, I use this next analogy here, teaching about 15 years ago. It was back in 2008. I'm trusting that most of you probably weren't here 15 years ago. If you did, you're going to see it again. But talking about the old life, and I kept the, the old life jacket here. And uh, let's see if I can do it without ripping my mic off. This is an example of our old life. Looks a little tattered, a little dirty, right? A little ripped up. And this is an example of sin's effect on our life. Ripped up, holes, dirty. You can see the back's got some stains on it and so forth. This is the old life, right? Now, when we come to Christ, here is what happens so often. Is that people want to put on the new life. And they don't want to take off the old life. And they say, well, it'll be fine. I don't want to go to... I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to put on my new life. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this is very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> i got big, broad shoulders. It's very tight. I've restricted my movement right now. But you see, this is why some of you are extremely uncomfortable trying to follow Jesus Christ. You've come on and you've put on the new, new person. Okay, you've accepted Christ, but you haven't taken off the old that's what Paul's saying. You've got to take off the old before you put on the new. In other words, what he's saying there is you have to repent and replace. You don't just repent. You repent and replace. And we're going to look today in the message at five different things that Paul's going to tell us that we have to repent of, change, get rid of, and what we need to uh, add, replace. Now, here's what some people do. Like, well, okay, I, I understand where you're coming from. But you know what, I, I'm a certain, you know, ethnic group, you know, it's just part of my culture. I, I'm, I'm still going to keep this part of my old life, you know, whatever. But I, I need Jesus too, so I'm going to, see if I can make this work, I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear two. Now, it looks silly, doesn't it? And that's what your life looks like too when you're... Because let me tell you, the most miserable people in the world are people who have a foot in the kingdom of God and a foot in the world. You have too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God, and you have too much of the kingdom of God to be happy in the world. You'd be better off not to follow Jesus one bit than to try to walk with both feet in. Remember, Jesus had a strong message in the uh, book of Revelation he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but the lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You know why lukewarm is so bad? Because it turns off other people. People say, that's what a Christian's supposed to be like? I don't want anything to do with that. They're not looking to the worldly people for the answers. They're looking for, where's the real Christians? But this is where so often people are at. And what we're going to see is that, yes, we've got to take off the, the old, and I'm not going to wear the new for the rest of the message. I did that last night, and I was, I was too warm up here. But you get the idea. Take off the old, put on the new, right? So now we're going to look at these five things. We start in verse 25. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Relationships, neighbor, marriage, wherever, parent and kids. For we are all members of one body. So number one is this. Off with lying and on with honesty. Off with lying, that's falsehood, on with honesty. You see in Proverbs 12, 22, and by the way, God has a lot in his word to say about lying. And so often we're pretty, as Christians, oftentimes we can look down our nose and pick at certain people groups with their sins, and we like get so disgusted with certain people's sins, but we forget, forget to look at our own. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. See, relationships are built on trust. You ever had a, a broken trust in a relationship? A lot of times it's a death nail to a, a relationship. And if it's in a marriage, usually it requires marriage counseling if there's been a severe breakdown in the trust. Now, it can be built up. I want to give you hope. But it requires time and by a person to truly repent and to be trustworthy. I've seen it turn around in people's lives, but it's work. But if you have another relationship, a person that you're not in a covenant relationship with, like in a marriage, and there's a severe breakdown in, in trust because you caught someone lying to you, it's hard to overcome that. And usually that, and oftentimes people, you know why people lie is they don't want to look bad. They don't want to be caught. As Christ followers, we're living by a different standard. You know what that means? That sometimes you're going to have to say yes. I did that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I won't happen again. I was wrong. Those type of words. You know what? We all make mistakes. It's what do we do when we're caught? Do we excuse it away, deny it, blame someone else, or do we take it? See, we have to put it off. This is part of the old life. Paul's saying, get rid of that, but then put on the Truth, speaking the truth. Now, let's go on to the next one. Number, uh, verse 26 and 27 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So there is an anger that's an okay anger. It's a, called a righteous anger. It's like what Jesus had when he went into the temple and turned over tables because he saw that the, the people were being abused spiritually by the religious leaders. Sometimes he got angry at the Pharisees for what they were saying. There is a religious, there, excuse me, there's a righteous anger that we can all have when we, we he, see some types of things like when we hear about you know, the, the millions of children that are being aborted. Or when we, have a, we hear about... Uh, children being abused or sex trafficking, a righteous anger can come up in us, that's okay because it's about a sin towards God or towards other people. But it's another type of anger that we have to be careful is, that the, and this is what we usually struggle, is the anger when things don't go my way. Or we get angry and we, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or is tailgating you and you're like, and gets, you know, fit in that fit of rage or your kids push your button. That's the type of, we have to be so careful that we don't give way to sin in that respect. 
This is what Paul's talking about. And if, when you do that situation, get rid of it before the sun goes down. Don't sleep on it. Don't suppress it. It will just build up. Now, here's the confessions of a pastor. For many years, well, let me just step you back. 1981, I gave my life to Christ. I changed dramatically. God delivered me of an alcohol addiction, drug addiction. I, 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 my, my immoral life changed dramatically. But you know one thing that I struggled with for the next 20 years was anger. Things could push my buttons, and I could go into a rage quickly. It usually had something to do with our kids. Kids have a way of doing that. And I remember going on vacations. You know, they should be the happiest time, be on your vacation with your kids. You're driving the minivan, you know. Kids are in the back. They're fighting. They're doing stuff. Somebody touched me. Somebody's looking at me, and you're... You know, I've got one hand on the wheel, one hand in the back, trying to grab body parts and, like, trying to straighten people up. And you don't change, I'm turning, pulling over, you know? You know, one of, I know you can't relate, but <laughs> it's just where I was at. And I was a Christian. I'm, I'm teaching in, in the churches in Iowa. I mean, here I am. I mean, but I hated that part of me. One thing good I did do was the Holy Spirit would convict me, like you did wrong. So many times I had to go to my kids and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Dad should not have acted that way. Some of you have never heard your parents say they were sorry, and you know they did wrong. Make sure you're not one of those parents. When you do wrong, and we're all imperfect, right? We need to own it. We need to admit it. We need to ask for forgiveness, and we move on. But I was so disappointed in myself. There was one time where I just lost it with the kids. I don't even remember what the event was. I went into our bedroom. I shut our door, and I was laying there on the bed. And I was like crying out to God, like, God, why do I just, I can go from being really happy to really angry quickly. And I probably heard this from someone. I don't know who to even attribute it to. But as I was there talking to the Lord, I felt like he spoke to me these words. Dead men don't get angry. And I kept meditating on it. Dead men don't get angry. Dead men don't get angry. Have you ever gone to a funeral, looked at a person in a casket and saw them angry? No. Dead people are not angry. As Christians, what are we supposed to do? Die to ourselves. We are to take up our cross, as Jesus said, and follow him. In other words, that cross means dying to ourself, our, our selfish sin nature. See, when I always get angry is when things didn't go my way. And I begin to, it finally started to dawn on me. I started to really take it serious, really praying and asking God to help me. Before that time, I would excuse it away. You know, I'd quickly get rid of, you know, repent of it, but then I'd move on. And I remember one time I was, I was working at Sebastian at the time. This is all before I came to work here at the church. Working down at Sebastian, driving up 95, singing worship songs, a great time in the vehicle with God. I pull in the driveway, and the kids' bikes are all in front of the garage. And I couldn't pull in the garage. And I'm like, put the vehicle in park, get out, throw bikes out of the way, go in, and then start yelling in the house. And it starts to dawn on me, what's wrong with this picture? There's a problem. It was like things didn't go my way. Some of you right now, you need to hear this because you are living that in your life. And let me tell you, I know it's possible to have victory because God has given me victory over it. 
All you have to do is ask my family. I'm a different person. I remember one time going on a week-long vacation with the kids, and the kids said, you know what happened? We went a whole week, and Dad never yelled at us once. That was victory. It's too bad it had to come to that. But if that's you right now, take off the anger. This is, this is our third one, uh, our second one. Off with anger and on with peace. Look at Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage. That was me. But the wise bring calm in the end. See, we can be a, a calming factor versus a rage. Off with the anger, on with peace. That's what he wants. We would never think of giving a, a pedophile the right to be a babysitter at our house, would we? Wouldn't that be foolish to have a pedophile as your babysitter? But when you're suppressing anger, you're not dealing with it, you know what you're doing? You're giving the devil a key to your house. You're giving the devil a foothold. Let me tell you, that's worse. Giving the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in your life, in your home. Let's move on to the next one. Verse 28 says this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So here it talks about, you know, people that, that are just taking advantage of the system. They're stealing. They're, they're always on the receiving end. They're not giving. They're letting other people do the work. And so here's our third one. Off with stealing and on with giving. And you might be saying, well, I don't, I don't steal, but that's a pretty broad thing here. We were designed to be givers. We were designed to work. Work was given to Adam in the garden before sin ever entered in. He was told to take care of the land, to cultivate, to give names to the animals. This, this was not until after the curse of the sin that they committed was when it became extra hard. In today's culture, everybody wants something for nothing. They feel like they're, they owed this. You know, they... they uh, how do I want to say it? They're taking advantage of systems. And unfortunately, our own government is allowing it to happen where people can get something for nothing. Now, if you're, re- if you're retired and, and you're or disabled, you know, you, you have a right then to, to you know, not have to work. But the rest of us, if we're capable, we're designed to work. We're designed to have an abundance to be able to be givers. Now, some of you also are not giving to God. I'm going to steal this next little thing from Chip Ingram. He's a great Bible teacher, and I heard him recently talk about giving to God, and he, he compared it to this. He said, most of us would never think of going to a restaurant, being served by a waiter or waitress, having a wonderful meal, and then leaving without tipping. We'd be uncomfortable. Like we, we would never do that, that we would not tip. But how many people come to our churches and are served and, 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 and ministered to and never give to the work of God in that church. Now, those of you that are generous and you're giving of tithes and offerings, thank you, thank you, thank you. But there's so much more that we could do as a church. But many people come, and they're always on the receiving end, and they're not giving. Look at this passage from Malachi 3. God has some pretty strong words to say about it, too. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He's talking about wherever you're spiritually fed. In our case, it would be the church. There it was the temple. Test me in this. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much of a blessing there will be not room enough to store it. So the first thing he says, I'm going to bless your income. You're going to have more than you thought you were going to have. I'm going to bless your income. Then he's also going to help our expenses to be less. Because he says this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And I know that was a message for the nation of Israel. It was Old Testament. But Jesus, he's, he talked about not giving up tithing in Matthew 23, 23. And the Apostle Paul talked about giving regularly, proportionally, giving with a cheerful heart. So giving, we were designed to be givers. The happiest people I know are people who are generous. They're giving. You know what the, un, the, the unhappy people are? The hoarders. They hang on to everything. They're, they're like, oh, it's got to have their security around it. One of the things we did was we taught our kids from a very early age to be givers. And you know what? I look at our kids today all super blessed as adults because they're givers. We are meant to allow our finances to flow in and flow out and meet needs. That's the one way that we can continue to take off the old is that stinginess, that entitled attitude, and that we work hard and we have an abundance to give. Let's keep moving on. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Well, if the Holy Spirit hasn't stepped on your toes yet, we're all nailed on this one, aren't we? Our mouth. Do you ever say the wrong thing? He tells us here, this is our fourth one, off with tearing people down and on with building them up. See, our mouths can get us in all kinds of trouble. We know this principle from, at, from Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Fruit will come forth. Death will come forth or life will come forth. Good or bad from our words, how are we using our words? If you're part of the world, you're going to be doing the negative, all that kind of stuff. But God wants us to use our words to build people up according to their needs. Now, what are some common negative words? This isn't an all-inclusive list, but here's some of them. Critical. Now, you know, I, I don't want to just pick on parents here, but it can be, you got to be really careful with your children. You can be very critical. You know, they come home with all B's and one C, and you're like, what's the matter with that one C? You know, it's like all oh, very critical. You walk in the room, and you, you like look at the thing that isn't done right. And the more of a perfectionist you are, the more harder time you might have in being critical. But critical, where we just cut down. We go into a situation, we, we, we overlook the 99 right things, and we find the one wrong thing. Sometimes we get these as pastors in emails. <laughs> Prideful, where somebody, all they want to do is talk about themselves. Their accomplishments. 
I did this, I did this, name dropping, you know, building themselves up. And again, it's very negative, prideful words. Gossip. You know what gossip word lo- words look like in a church? I got something I need you to pray about. So-and-so's marriage is not working good. You know, we, we gossip in the name of like, I have a prayer request for so-and-so. You know, I saw them coming out of the liquor store. You know? <laughs> you know? It's gossip. Let's call it what it is. Slander and lying. Some people do that to try to make themselves look better. Social media is a prime place for some of this stuff to happen. And then cursing. Taking the Lord's name in vain and and so forth. These are all negative words. So let's talk about the positive. How can we use our words positively to build others up? Let's not focus on the negative. We're told to repent of that and replace. Well, I'm going to give you three. Three types of words that really will help you. First one is encouragement. Encourage people. Just think of what the word encourage is. You're in courage. You're giving them courage. You're helping them. You know who mostly needs encouragement? is our children. Some people use reverse psychology. And they think, well, you know, and, and for a small group of people, reverse psychology works. I happen to be one of those people, if you tell me you can't do something, oh, I'm going to prove them wrong. You know what I'm saying? But for most people, when you just... Dis- you discourage them, you know, they just want to give up. And they use that reverse psychology in a way like, you're never going to mount to anything. And their intention might be, I want you to get serious about this. But you know what? People listen to that and they begin to believe it. You're a dummy. What's the matter with you? You failed this test. You're never going to mount to anything. Don't do that with your kids especially. Kids need encouragement. Build your family up. With your words. That's one of the things that Barbara and I did do right. We really tried to be very careful with the words that we used with our kids, what we spoke over them. Even when we had to correct them, we tried to say, we know you can do better. We believe in you. Next time you can do it. So encouragement is a huge one. Next one is gratitude. Just tell people thank you. Thank you for serving. When you go pick up your kids today in the kids' ministry, thank those workers that are over there. The parking lot people, give them a thumbs up. Thank, thank them for, for what they do out there in the heat. Those people that are serving you, give thanks. You know, it goes a long ways. I, I didn't really, wasn't as much of a uh, thankful person, I don't know, for whatever reason growing up, but uh, I learned a lot of it from my wife. She's so thankful that sometimes she's thankful in the wrong times. I was coming back from, uh, we were coming back from our honeymoon. We were driving back from South Texas up to Iowa. Wasn't too far from home. And I got pulled over by an officer. I ended up getting a ticket. And when he handed me the ticket, she leans across it and says, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't have to thank him for giving a ticket. But then again, I think maybe she was thankful that I was going to slow down. I don't know. It was, a, it was a brand new marriage, you know. So thankful, gratitude, and the third one is words of wisdom. When we speak words of wisdom to people. See, sometimes we need to correct people, but we can do it in a wise way. So words of wisdom. So the types of good words you know, are encouraging words, grateful words, and wise words. Those will go a long way in building people up. Let's keep going. Verse 30 and 31 says this. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Malice just means you have the, in your heart, you have an intention to do evil. But he tells us don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people have a hard time understanding, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? There's another verse in the Bible that talks about don't quench the Spirit. You ever heard those words? Quench the Spirit, grieve the Spirit. Well, I'm going to help define it for you so you have an understanding. Grieving the Spirit is doing something that God doesn't want you to do. When you commit a sin and you willfully do it, you do it, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Think about a person grieving. It's like they feel like what goes through in a death. You know, like, oh, you know, I just so much pain. That's what the Holy Spirit feels. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person that lives in us. It's part of the Godhead in us. Quenching the Spirit is not doing something God wants us to do. So let's say uh, God's wanting you to go across the street and uh, maybe do something for a person who's going through a hard time. Maybe share the gospel with them. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Maybe it was when I was talking about giving to the church, giving to the work of God here in the church. Well, I'm not going to give. No, no, no. I'm going to grab my wallet and hold on tight. That's quenching the spirit. It's like, think about what quenching is like throwing water on a flame. So not doing something that God wants you to do is quenching. Grieving is doing something he doesn't want you to do. See, God has put his Holy Spirit in us, and he wants his Holy Spirit to live through us. That's how we can do these things. If you think this message is a self-help lesson, like, oh, you just need to try harder, and you just need to work even that harder, you're missing the full point. It's really about the Spirit doing it with us. Putting on the new life, he gives us the strength to, get, to say no to these things and help us. It's not about you trying harder. Sometimes maybe you've, you're not getting the victory because you put too much of it upon yourself. No, ask God for his help. Let's look at the last verse here. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So the last one here, number five, is off with bitterness and on with forgiveness. Off with bitterness. When we are holding, because somebody sinned against us and we're hurt, and we just want revenge against them, off with that and on with, I forgive them. I turn it over to God. God, it's yours. If they need to pay for that sin, that's up to you to work with them. It's not up to me. Jesus had strong words to say about this. Look at Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Great. But then there's this next part. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Today, listening to this message, some of you, God is withholding his forgiveness because you're holding on to unforgiveness towards someone else. Now, you've heard people say, and they're, they're wrong in this. They say, well, you need to forgive and forget. Impossible. We have a mind. We have a memory. We will remember what they've done, but we don't have to hold it against them. We, we can release it to God. I'd rather say this. Last statement on the screen is this. Forgive and remember. Forgive and remember. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Did you deserve forgiveness? Did you sin against God? 
He chose to forgive you. And that's why that last part of that verse says, you forgive as you have been forgiven. Jesus forgave us of our sins. And we are called to forgive others. So forgive and remember. We always go back to that. Remember what he's done. No, I didn't deserve it. And he chose to forgive me. This person that hurt me, that said this against me, did this to me, they don't deserve it either. But I choose to forgive them because God forgave me. Amen? So as we're getting ready to close this message, I just want to encourage you with this. We've talked about five things here. We talked about lying. We talked about anger. We talked about being a taker versus a giver, tearing people down, and unforgiveness. But I'm going to encourage you with this. Don't work on all five. Find one of those things and ask God today, what is one of those things that my old life has still got attached to me? Somehow I'm still wearing that old life related to one of those five things. And get serious with God and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Give me the ability. He can do it. He can help you get rid of that. And you will be set free in a way that you've never experienced before. Amen? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we wrap this message up, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know we are to take off the old and put on the new. And Lord, you've given us five things in this message of things that we need to to get rid of in our life. But Lord, we need your help in doing that and replacing it with the things that you want us to add. And I just pray right now, Lord God, that you would help us. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit. We need it, Lord. We can't do this on our own. We want to be set free. We want to represent you well. We want to be truthful with people, honest. We want to be at peace with people, not angry. Lord, we want to be a giver and not just a taker. We want to build people up with their words, not tear them down. Lord, we want to be forgiving people just as you have forgiven us. But I know, Lord, that that's not even possible without a relationship with Jesus Christ while while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you need to come back to Christ, you need to rededicate your life with Christ, this is where it starts. You've got to take off the old, you got to take the old life off completely. You got to take it off and you got to put on the new self. Some of you don't have Christ in you yet. You don't have the Holy Spirit in you. If you'd like prayer for that today, I'm just going to ask that you to raise your hand up high. I want to pray with you. Yep. Yep. Others of you, balcony, way in the back. See, several of you in the back there. Others of you. Just raise your hand up high. Yep. You're making this commitment to God. You're not making it to the church. You're not making it to me. But it's an act of faith. By you raising your hand up, you're saying, God, I want a relationship with you. I need a relationship with you. Send your Holy Spirit to live in me and help me. Anybody else? Yep. Those of you who had your hands up, you can put them down. Let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're crying out to God. Just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for all of my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. So please forgive me of all my sin. Send your Holy Spirit to come live in me today because I want to follow you from this day forward. 
Help me to take off the old man, the old woman, the old life, and put on you your righteousness, your forgiveness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give a hand to those that prayed that prayer today? Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I'll give you words of instruction at the very end, but would you all stand now as we're going to close in a worship song? a few uh, words of instruction to you before you leave, but uh, thank you for being such a wonderful church. God is doing some great things here in this church, and new people keep coming all the time. We're seeing growth in so many different areas, so many people volunteering and serving. Just what we're doing with this playground just bless my heart so much to see everybody out there. But if you need prayer for any reason at all, we have some of our prayer teams standing up here. If you are one that raised your hand up, I want to encourage you to come. The Bible tells you to, to make it a public confession of your faith. That you, you declare Jesus before man. He's going to declare you before the Father is what the scripture says. We give you that opportunity. We want to give you a Bible. If you are new to our church, welcome, welcome, welcome. And we'd love to meet you. We have a center ring out in our commons to my right right now where I'm pointing to. There's a center ring out there. We'll have volunteers out there. Be glad to give you some information about the church, answer questions. We don't have membership here, so you just come and join us, okay? You're part of the family. And uh, just the last thing is, uh, as a reminder, we have our offering boxes by the, by the uh, doors. And so you can give there, you can give online. And thank you for all the, those of you that generously give your tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord here. Have a great Father's Day weekend. God bless you all. <laughs>